Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card with Discover Cashback Debit. Everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Rose Studios... In the crap part of Soho. It's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. Oh, I've got the tingling. You do? Yeah, full on. I've got it. I've had it for about 48 hours. I love it when you wear that sweater that's sort of part cardigan, part sweater. A little bit of a roll neck. You're grandfatherly in that. That's the... uh I'm trying to lower my age perception. <laughs> <laughs> and just look grandfatherly. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's working for you. Trying to be it's younger. Than, trying to be younger than my emotional age, David. Yeah. Oh, I am actually, I'm feeling, part of me is feeling ecstatic. Yeah. Uh, we're charging Chelsea towards, loss. No, we're <laughs> just charging towards Blazer Comp. Yeah. It's like two tickets, three t- family three, of four. Can yeah, no three tickets left. If you want to come with four mates, don't bother. With three mates, don't bother. One of you is going to have to like uh, take the four. Just get a bunk over the wall from the other mate. But yeah. I just think it's just like such a colossal undertaking and there's so much to be done between now and then. And I'm not sleeping so well. I'm just dreaming about you know, getting it right for Barry Hearn. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I don't think Barry Hearn's that stressed getting it right about it. For Charlie Do you think Barry Hearn's stressed about Charlie it? Charlie is a red. Oh, we'll all be working Very for Charlie exacting. as a red one day. Yeah, he seems like a nice kid, but that yeah. rider that yeah. he's got on his... Uh, I know. Um, it's it's very, tough to get Smarties in the United States very, anymore. It's incredibly you can't exacting. can't get that many Smarties, let alone only pink ones. Oh, and, you know, the Fox guys coming in. Yeah. We'll make it nice for them. Yeah. You know, ginger friendly. Yeah. But it's been a, a sad week. For sports journalism, Davey, mm-hmm. with the closing, yeah. hashtag Grantland RIP, bit sad, incredibly sad to be candid. Uh, it's alas, poor Grantland, we knew you well. We did. Uh, and we owe you a lot, we owe Grantland a lot. That was um, the home <sighs> of our podcast, not initially, but it's where uh, our podcast went on regularly after the 2010 oh, Tiny World little Cup. tent. Yeah. We pitched up inside their camp, Bill Simmons, the magical Jacoby. Do you remember the New York Times ad that they put out for the Grantland Podcast Network? Oh, they had so it was much one of the most exciting things. It's one of the most exciting things ever. They took an ad. It was when they launched the Podcast Network. Yes. And yeah. they took an ad. I don't think it was half a page, maybe a quarter of a page. But it's the most beautiful ad, and our name was in on it. The in, New York Times. in the New York Times. Grantland. And it was exciting. It was I like, felt part of the big I time. I felt like we were working in the media in the 1940s during the yeah, golden age of radio. We liked it. Yep. We remember it well. We're going to launch you. We got a million bucks. Yeah. Oh, those are the days. So much talent, though. 
I mean, we were dwarfed by the likes of Jonah Kerry. What a wonderful bloke. Yeah, Zach Lowe, I like his podcast. Remember, an all-round amazing human being. Yeah. Brian Phillips, a rare, rare talent. I'm sure they will all find a home, David. Yeah, I think they probably already have. But what a remarkable platform it yeah. was for Men and Blazers at the outset. And I think for both of us, we, um, we learned quickly, platform's crucial. You can shout as loud as you want from the valley floor. Not that many people would hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very true. Uh, thank you, uh, Grantland, everybody associated with Grantland. And, uh, you know, everybody there spoke to Jacoby this week. It was, you know, sad times. Very yeah. sad. I mean, the suddenness was what made it a shock more than the actual demise. I think in 100 years, in fact, I know in 100 years, whatever technology they have then, maybe, like, podcasts will be beamed directly into your cortex. Someone will build a new sports platform and call it Grantland. <laughs> yeah, as well, a, we're doing as a in tribute, the future. We're doing the past again and again and again as a tribute to Bill Simmons' flickering endeavour, and not <laughs> not to Grantland Rice. Yeah, so I know it will come back, Dave. What did you learn from it, though, as a television bloke? Uh I think that there was not an enormous amount of revenue ultimately, and uh, people don't tend to sort of read long form articles. I mean, on they, didn't, desktop. they didn't have a million dollar talent contract uh, like us. No, they, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what um, do you mean, nor do we? Uh, what? We don't have a. You telling me we don't have a million dollar? No, talent. we don't have a million dollar talent contract. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, we have to pay for the cost of making our TV show. Roger, I've explained it a thousand times already. <laughs> um, uh, so people are not like behaving on the internet as they used to. They don't read long form articles on their computers, on their desktops, Rog. And, uh, you know, adjusting Grantland for mobile was an issue. Obviously, Bill Simmons left. He was the heart and soul of Grantland, more than the heart and soul of Grantland. He was every organ of Grantland, including the appendix, which doesn't do a lot. And um, he left, and uh, it felt inevitable that it was going to go, even despite protestations from John Skipper that he was going to keep it going. I don't blame ESPN either. I must say, I don't blame them. A lot of people saying, what do they think they're doing? It's ultimately in business. You sometimes have got to make some tough calls and you've got to say, is this going to grow? Is this going to be a growing concern? You can't run businesses these days, not in a Fortune 500 company which has shareholders and run a business just because, you know, emotionally think it's the right thing to do. None of these companies, none of their shareholders give them the luxury of doing that. So my, my big takeaway is that creativity can be a hard fit within large organizations, templated formats. Well, it was never run as an entrepreneurial business, really, Rog. From the start, it was supported by advertising and it was a talent deal for with Bill Simmons and a very you know and a, a very appropriate talent deal to keep Bill Simmons to give him something he really wanted what do you mean Grant it wasn't Land? a business do you mean there was no strategy between behind that half a page advertisement for podcasting <laughs> well, giving two bald men a football podcast no I mean um, advertising it once in the New York Times that's brilliant no, the mean, gilded age of podcasts I don't know I don't I don't know uh, I don't think there was an entrepreneurial business plan to go and grow it uh, I think it was a, I think it was a talent deal, and it was part of a talent deal. I will miss it terribly, and it's, I think it, the 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 sadness is compounded by just how crappy a week it's been for New York sports fans. Yeah, it has been a crappy week. Poor well, Mets. except for the Knicks fans, for Roger, they're enjoying their new Knicks. They and are, the Mets. But we, we sullied the Knicks by having Carmelo Anthony on the show. Yeah, I know. Probably oh, waiting for the curse of Roger. In a in a in a century oh. of Knicks low points, this yeah. is possibly the worst we've got. Who's coming on next week? Uh, Alexandra Ovechkin we're sulling, we're sulling them all yeah. there's not a single sport we won't transcend to destroy franchises it's going to be interesting but yeah but yeah the Mets Rog poor Gary in accounting oh he just doesn't have a spring in his step anymore Rog the Mets 
lose the World Series to uh, the Kansas Whoa. City. What a tenacious outfit, Kansas City. Whiz. No, they're not the Whiz. Victory. The Kansas <laughs> City Royals. <laughs> It'd be amazing if the Whiz turned up and beat the Mets in the World Series. Oh, It'd be quite that. a result. Victory after victory in a style Alexi yeah. Lalas would describe as proper American. Yes. They might just be the most American team in sports. Whenever I saw their outfits, I thought their outfits were fantastic. But when I see that KC hat, mm-hmm. I always wonder whether Keith Costigan wears one. <laughs> yeah. I love it if, if they I, call them outfits. I don't think they call them outfits. Well, do you not think Keith Costigan, the yeah. ginger prince of yeah, Fox Broadcasting, him. has got like a KC, it's his initials. Oh, yeah, you're right. The KC. Whenever I watch them, Good I think, point. Well, I thought he actually sponsored them at the outset. Better news sent to us by at Brian Bergstein. Okay. It's my favourite news article of the week, David. Oh, this week in baldness, Rog. Did this involve mice? That's what I want to know. <laughs> because we only listen to experiments on baldness that uh, mice have participated in. Well, not part uh, of Lead. Lead. Uh, researchers at Carnegie Mellon University have come up with a method for using 3D printers to fabricate plastic hair. <sighs> a technique they call... Furbrication is that a pun? <laughs> Which can allow bald men to pun. mix up their look and match their hair color and style to their outfit of choice on a daily basis. Now that is bald denying. I don't you care think... how fashion forward that is. That's bald denying. I've got to tell you, I can't stand with that. I just changed the way I think about it. First of all, there's two sections of the New York Times that I never ever read. Yeah, one's the automobile section. Yeah, never ever open like my it. house. Yeah, the other's the science section. But when I read this technological <laughs> breakthrough, I realised I need to change my Neanderthal thinking. Can you yeah. imagine having a tweed toupee one day? No. Nope. A brown corduroy? No. Nope. A brown corduroy toupee the next day? It sounds like they've found Summer a buyer, Roger. You, you fact, get, you get it seems like you're going to be a client. Can you imagine having seersucker hair? It would just yeah. be an amazing world. With a patch on. Where do I sign up for this wonderful <laughs> program? <laughs> you're going to look ridiculous. <sighs> It's sort of like in the Hunger Games, you know, the people in the live in the future. It looks like Hunger Games stuff. Maybe there's an Effie trinket just living inside of me, David. Cordial, yeah. God, I hope so. I hope so, Rog. Um, Okay, a raven early in the pod today. It's from an anonymous GFOP in Chicago. It's the winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers poet philosopher sucker scribe Raven of the Week. I love this change in format, Rog. This person writes... When you announced hashtag BlazerCon, I knew I had to be there. One problem, I live in Chicago. And when I told my wife I was spending hundreds of dollars to fly to New York to watch two British guys talk about soccer in Molly Ringwald movies, (laughs) that's overselling it. Her reaction included more disbelief and disgust than a Jose Mourinho press conference. I have nothing to say. So to get to BlazerCon, I had to do what I imagine Davo does whenever he wants to make a great TV show. Find some sucker to pay for it. That's my business plan. Since I work around the fringes of sports marketing, I crafted a very professional-looking email to my boss highlighting how BlazerCon had collected an all-star lineup of athletes, executives, and brands to debate the future of soccer in America. That's all fine and good, but this is the social media age. I can only imagine the horror of my superiors upon catching me in an Instagram wearing a Harry Kane jersey, chugging Malbec, and singing World War I-era hymns at the pub with Rog. So to really crank my BlazerCon up to 11, I needed to get pre-approved for the entire Men in Blazers vibe without raising red flags. So I enhanced my application for funding with a few creatively worded touches. To allow for heavy intake of pies and beer, I said BlazerCon would offer a weekend-long brand immersion with iconic soccer sponsors like Guinness and Dub. (laughs) To cover for the evening happy hours, I said the event included networking events with top global media like NBC's Rebecca Lowe, Fox's Alexi Lalas, and Charlie I.A. Red. 
Charlie, I ain't read. I even built in time for sad naps by saying Blazicon included an examination of the physiological impact of sports fandom on human biorhythms. Well, send my blazer to the dry cleaners. <laughs> I was approved. Right until you decide to read this on air and some GFOP in the finance department moves to terminate my employment. I hope they like Guinness and pies. Cheers. See you in New York. Name withheld in Chicago. That's dedication, Rog. That letter gets a Guinness Philosopher Patch of the Week, David. Yeah, excellent stuff. We can't wait to see you in Brooklyn, Mr. Name Withheld. Introduce, give us the wink. The dog barks at midnight. We won't reveal your secret. (laughs) Uh, The complete Blazer can schedule with panels and times is now available on meninblazers.com, Rog. There will be beer, there will be pies, there will be singing and dancing. Tickets to BlazerCon, November 13th and 14th in Brooklyn, are available on our website, meninblazers.com. There are only a few left, actually three. Three tickets left, and we may be sold out by the time the pod is released. I'm honestly quite excited, David. Do you have have tingling nipples, or is it just me? No, I don't. My nipples don't tingle, Rod. It's not one of my erogenous zones. I just say when you nipple. Not one of my zones. When your nipples do not not tingle. Back of my knees. That's a zone. You got one foot in the grave, mate. Nipples, not a zone. Never has been a zone. Honestly. Never been a zone, my nipples. God, life is not worth living without some TNs to the football poor producer Lexi producer JW found that difficult to listen to to the football we have a packed show we're all human we have nothing to say about Liverpool's 3-1 victory over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge nothing to say we break down Arsenal's second half offensive explosion against Swansea and we're joined by Leicester's favourite son not Jamie Vardy Rog the one and only Arlo White to discuss the third place Faxes their hot start to the season plus MLS playoffs Abby Wombat retires and a set blatter interview that's as revealing as it is ridiculous. What we actually call a set blatter interview, Rog. <laughs> to the football, we're now 11.38 of the way through the Premier League season. Crack open the Guinness, Rog. We've got a lot to talk about. I'll just say, Dave, what is the Premier League without Tim Sherwood? Oh. Somehow it all feels just a bit lesser this week. It's a little bit lesser. Cheers. To Tim Rog. Sherwood. To Tim Sherwood. Wherever you may be. Yeah. Before we get into the footy, yeah. there was one article that I do think is worth mentioning. Daily Mail, uh-huh. your newspaper of choice. No, Premier I League. Prefer the Telegraph. Sees a 150% increase in US audience size. Our audience, David, the yeah. football audience in America, it's a yeah. niche. It's a growing one. One of the questions I'm most looking forward to discussing mm-hmm. with Premier League chief Richard Scudamore mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. How long will it be until the Premier League projects that there'll be more people watching the big game of the weekend, say Chelsea-Liverpool, mm-hmm. in the United States than there are in England? I bet the answer is about five years. Yeah. By my, by my actua- actuarial tables. Scale. Do you have your actuarial tables? Yep. Bring them to the interview. I spend, every, I spend five minutes when I wake up every morning projecting my own death. Okay. Let's get this brief 45-minute conversation about Chelsea's loss done with, Rog. Chelsea won Liverpool Three, Jurgen Klopp's side, gegenpress their way to three points in West London after falling behind to a fourth minute, way too early, Ramirez header. Two goals from the diminutive Philippe Coutinho and one from substitute Christian Benteke secure the first league win, Rog, of the Klopp era. It lifts Liverpool into eighth, Jose Mourinho's side remained in 15th place. Mired in 15th, but they remained in 15th place, Rog. I still think I'm going to wake up one morning get out of bed kiss my wife mm-hmm. look at the league table and see that Chelsea were in the top four just it was all <laughs> a dream David. So. we're just dreaming we might right? get to sick 
find it so hard to believe this Chelsea implosion is real, yeah. ongoing. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable forces have been released. I mean, this game, 15th place, hosting ninth. It was the equivalent, from a form perspective, of one blue turd emoticon playing football against the equivalent of a red turd emoticon. <laughs> but because of the context and the narrative, it was without a doubt the yeah. biggest game of the weekend. And yeah. boy, oh boy, did Jose Mourinho arrive looking haggard and burnt out. Oh, he had, he had big rolling bag management issues, <sighs> Rog. He didn't, didn't roll that bag very effectively. He had to take it up the stairs, take it around the corner. He jammed it on the corner. He tried to cut it too, far, too fine a line. He didn't take the racing line, Rog. I tried on the show to do a compare and contrast to Jose Mourinho's arrival at Stamford Bridge during the golden title-winning days of last <laughs> season, only to discover when I looked at the footage with JW... He was just as depressed last season. just as depressed last season, too. Yeah. Which is kind of fascinating. But he took the bench alone and soon joined by his subs... Who included Sesk. Everyone's on the naughty step, Rog. Not Mikel. Not William. Yeah, well, William Not Ramirez. Everybody else will be. He'd elected those three were going to win that midfield battle that used to be Chelsea's by right, Davo. Last season, this stat's amazing. Chelsea scored 12 times in the opening 15 minutes. This campaign, before the Liverpool game, they'd only scored once in the first 15. And here, they did so within four minutes. Euphoria. It was a, uh, it was a good goal. Milner overpressed on the right wing, over Gagan pressed, Rog, as Piliqueta, you know, past U- the halfway Uber, line. Uber Gagan pressed. Yeah, Uber Gagan pressed. As Piliqueta, probably for the only time in the entire half, maybe the entire match was past halfway. Uh, great ball in, Ramirez arriving late. Oh, he lo- does look a bit like Inspector Gadget with that neck extension. Oh, that was a fine header. Mm-hmm. Mourinho, oddly, high five nobody on the sideline. His yeah. imaginary friend is perhaps his only companion on the sideline. How did you feel like, when that ball went in? Well, that, aside from do not score too early. I tweeted instantly, if you go back and try uh, look at my timeline, crap, way too How early. How did you really feel? That's what we talked no, about. Don't I score too early. That was my season. first... 50, tw- 12 times they scored in the first 50 minutes. It was game one. Did you, did you give a little fist? But they were playing well. They had Liverpool on the rack. Did you, oh, yeah, back to old days. Uh, I gave a fairly repressed cheer. Partly it was quite, it was the early kickoff, Rog. There were people still sleeping in the house. It might, it might a little repressed one. But it was very, very early. I realised that Liverpool were there to go and play. The goal even came from Uber Gagan pressing. And Chelsea beat it at that moment. But I was worried at that point, at that very point when I sent that tweet, at the pressure that Chelsea were going to put under by going in the lead. At the, in front of the Liverpool faithful as well, right in front of them. The goal empowered Chelsea to sit back. It became like an NFL team in prevent defence. Liverpool flickered the ball around with attempts at skill and a desire to regain possession once it was lost, but without any kind of sharpness in the final third. The game actually reminded me in the first half of Liverpool under Brendan Rodgers in their first season. Mm-hmm. when they looked to win the possession battle rather than score the goals they needed to win the game. And they took it in turns to miss woefully or knock the ball into an enormous Benteke-sized space in the box. And the first half just slipped into what it was, mid-table fair. 19 average outfield players, Coutinho, Azard, Oscar, Firmino, Firmino's neck tattoo, all mediocre at best. Only Willian really stood out. I honestly, that first half... I would have preferred to watch Klopp and Mourinho in ISO for 45 minutes. Yeah, I saw it a little bit differently than the, uh, than the commentary team, Rog. 
I understand Chelsea definitely did sit back a little. They do what teams do naturally when they score too early. They sat back a little bit. But Liverpool again and again dispossessed Chelsea from the ball. So yes, Liverpool were woeful in the final third, but Chelsea simply could not hold on to the ball. They could not string passes together. You know, Mikel, Zuma, Terry, Cahill, Bless. even Ramirez, Terry, bless. incapable of holding possession of the ball. Willian, a class apart, able to use his speed, able to turn out of the trouble, able to go and, uh, and keep possession of the ball. But Chelsea couldn't hold it. And that was the seed of their demise. Because on the stroke of half time, if yes. you're a Liverpool fan or in, the inexplicable amount of time added on, if you wear Chelsea blue, the oddest drama, I would say, of the season so far played out because Jose Mourinho re-emboldened that is, I'm leaving for the locker room early, this half ends when I say it ends. But then he made the fatal error of turning round at the last. <laughs> no, you don't look. You don't want to look. Well, Nothing will happen if you don't look. Like Lot's wife in Genesis turning round to look back and glimpse Sodom's destruction and instantly being transformed into a pillar of salt. Why did he look? Yeah, and Chelsea not for the first time this season unable to sort of go into uh, a half unable to finish a half without conceding a late goal another giveaway up the field yet another giveaway uh, in their own half and Chelsea gave away possession and the goal was scored (sighs) against them Philippe Coutinho 710 minutes without a goal the knock on him is he doesn't score enough but boy is he a gent for the big occasions tiny gent massive occasions you should get extra points for firing the ball past display John Terry. Yeah, twice. Uh, and it's, it's that jink, jink, joink move he does, Rog, that's so good. Jink, jink. He just does that little jink and you just know what's going to happen. And he gets in that timing. It's like watching an elite server warm up. Is you just know as they go into their wind-up that it's going to be an ace because it just looks so in rhythm and it looks so in timing. And uh, there it goes. Top <sighs> We've right. talked before that even on teams you hate, there's players you cannot help but love. Paul O'Neill on the Yankees team was yeah. a first. I just thought his psychotic intensity won me over. Juan Mata, of course, that cuddly little Ewok. Coutinho, I love you. I love the way you play. I love the pluck. I love the courage of a gunslinger. Jose Mourinho didn't like you quite as much as I did. Tried to show no emotion, but he knew he'd have to turn his team talk around at the very last. Long-time listeners know... What does my father say, Davo? Worst time to concede a goal? Ivor Bennett time, right before the half. Yeah, forces the coach to make up a new team talk on the spot, my father's convinced. At half-time in those locker rooms, 1-1. Chelsea, calm for much of the game, and then to fall apart the last. Liverpool, poor in the final third. Coutinho, a moment of brilliance. Which team would have felt happier with the performance in that locker room? Oh, definitely Liverpool going in 1-1, without a doubt, Rog. Um, And I think there was a certain element, and this isn't a complaint. I think the refs actually called this game very, very well. Yes, the uh, goal went in after two minutes, but we've seen that happen before. uh, Somebody said to me, it's not a crime, Davo, when I made a joke. None of this is a crime. This is football. Um, But I felt they called it pretty well. But referees sometimes decide to let players be physical and let players be aggressive, and sometimes they... Um, they don't. Sometimes they hand the cards out early. This was a game where they didn't come out with the cards early and they allowed, this played into Jurgen Klopp's game plan. They, uh, they gagan pressed very hard. They were very physical. They won't be allowed to be this physical against every team every week, but it really worked and it played in their half and they got even more physical in the second half. Oh, that, to me, that, 
Coutinho goal, it did more than equalise the scores. It transformed Chelsea because the second half, cue nerves, cue anxiety, they were a different team. A team that at times looked like either fatigue, lack of interest or giving up. The BBC peddled rumours, I'd say irresponsibly, of unnamed players saying they would rather lose and have Mourinho fired than have Chelsea win. Blatant yeah. rumour-mongering. But you have to say, elite teams, Madrid... Munich, AC Milan back in the 90s, they always added new blood after winning a league. They never yeah. sat pat. They never wanted to, the players to rest easy and coast. The second half, it did look like one team was coasting. And Liverpool's second 45, it was honestly like watching their 11 line up to take backwards trust falls into Jurgen Klopp's arms. Yeah. Skirtl in particular, he was a man possessed. Well, look, the one player Chelsea did bring on, the one piece of new blood was Kennedy, and that was actually the brightest addition uh, in... 58 uh, minutes. Along with... The ongoing humiliation of William. reigning football of the year, Hazard. <laughs> Off you go, lad. 19-year-old Kennedy comes on. Yeah. And then he came on just in time to witness that prison shift, that prison yard moment. Oh, it was magnificent. Honour amongst killers, uh, Rog. The truth is that Skirtle and Costa both give each other as good as they get. Uh, there was a first-half incident where Costa... Uh, you know, shoved high, one would say, by Skirtle um, into the uh, hoardings in front of the Liverpool fans, into the mouth. And second half, Costa with a... It was... I mean, slow motion looked a little bit worse than it did in real time, but a little bit of a kick out, definitely, on the floor. Skirtle started to make something of it, but then helped Costa to his feet as the ref came over. And I thought that was a great moment. It's game recognises game. It's... Ethnic cleanser meets ethnic cleanser. Killer meets killer. Honour amongst thieves. I loved it, Rush. You say that, but I also saw it as a symbol of something that's rotten with Chelsea. Like Mourinho's act has staled. So is Diego Costas for me. The talk about him needing to play on the edge to menace his opponents. It's just declined into a sad defang farce. I mean, no one is afraid of him. That's what I saw with Skirtle picking him up and lifting him up. I'm not scared of you. Defenders also know that the Arsenal game and the villainy of Gabriel's red card, they can pretty well do whatever they want to Diego Costa now. Mm-hmm. And whatever, the game became a knife fight. At J Monkey tweeted us, it was a knife fight to which Coutinho came armed with a machete. Yeah, he did come armed with a machete in the second goal. Very almost like a mirror image of the first, Rod. Another giveaway ends up on the outside of the box. This one with the added... Uh, bonus of a bank off John Terry. Yeah, Rush. John Terry of last year would have blocked that with ease. He would have thrown himself headfirst at the ball. A third goal soon followed. On this one, John Terry and Cahill less defending, more just flinching yeah. as Liverpool's two subs combined. I finding Benteke. Chelsea at this point defending as if they were hell-bent on creating opportunities to practice their kickoff routines more. Yeah. Poor Mourinho, Davo. Listen to that. Poor Mourinho on the sideline watching his own red wedding. Despondent with the odd stained patch on his shirt. Oh, God, you do exist. Was that his blood? Was that his we tears? We hope so. What was it, David? We have no idea. could have been his soul, Rog. It could have been a symbol. It's almost Kafka-esque. It could have been a spider, <sighs> Rog. We have no idea All what it was. All we know is that we're 100% sure it is now Arsene Wenger's Facebook profile, that image. It is remarkable to watch, David. It's remarkable to watch. Can I say it. something about that second half? What I found as I was watching the second half, remember the Carling Cup, the Capital One Cupity Cup game last year, where Chelsea, frankly, won the physical battle against Liverpool. Lots of complaints, some of it not legal, but it was a physical battle won by Chelsea. I feel like... Obviously, Jurgen Klopp came in with his uber gegenpressing pressing style. I think the Liverpool uh, players remember that game. 
and they out-physical Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea have lost games at Stamford Bridge this season. For me, the most alarming aspect of this game, which is why it's not only about Mourinho, it's also about the players, is that Chelsea were physically outmatched at Stamford Bridge. And I can't remember when I've seen that. It's remarkable to watch. said on the show, it's like witnessing Nelson Muntz morph into Millhouse before (laughs) your eyes. And it is amazing. Bullies being bullied. As in life, so in sports. It's tough to be evil when you're not threatening anyone anymore, Rog. This this morning at a press conference, John Terry said, the public can't be happy to see Chelsea losing. Uh, There's a great tweet from Graham Parker, the Guardian writer. He said, the occasional cutaway shot to John Terry's reactions is like Schadenfreude ice cream for (laughs) non-Chelsea fans. By the way, he also hit back very hard at the assertions that their Chelsea player had gone out and said that he'd rather lose for Mourinho rather than win for him. John Terry actually said that he's never been involved in any sports team ever where that would have stood uh, with any of the players, where any player would have got away John from Terry, in such noted a way. coach killer. Let me ask you a different question. Did yeah. that look like a team battling to save their manager? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they came out and I think they made a lot of endeavour. It looked like a team who were very, very nervous. It looked like a team actually who are not particularly good on the ball except for key players. And I think that's very true. Chelsea haven't had to be that good on the ball. They've switched around. Look at the number of different lineups Chelsea have played this season. Um, You know, Mikel hasn't exactly had a vote of confidence in him for the last two years under Jose Mourinho, the last six years as a Chelsea player. And suddenly he's in there anchoring midfield in a huge game. I don't think any of the players, I think Mikel is surprised. I don't think any of the players around him I expected that to be what's going on. Zuma playing right back. That's not a position he really feels supernatural uh, in. US Women's National Team star Heather O'Reilly tweeted, and I love it. She said, yep. do sports build character or do they reveal it? Whatever Jose's become, and this is what's fascinating to me, he's become what he most despises. This season, six a losses. A loser. A specialist in failure, yeah. Yeah. With Manchester City legend Frank Lampard looking on mm-hmm. and Klopp trolling Chelsea by subbing on Dejan Lovren on the end, the ultimate in derision, Croatian mm-hmm. Freddie Adu. Chelsea left. David, this is amazing. They need 2.2 points from each of their remaining 27 games to hit the 70 points that secured United the final Champions League slot. And then we get the post-match, the mentally shattered Jose Mourinho, just Oliver North in questions, an epic interview, instantly on par in my mind. To say. With Frost Nixon, Malcolm X, Alex <laughs> Haley. Well, how do you understand that? Because that was that was just the moment for me. Press I didn't know are better than football. I thing. agree with that. He did do a longer post-match conference, not the one in front of the step and repeat, but the one in front of the press where he did talk at length. I don't know if this was a particular message to BT Sport. He's been somewhat um, critical of their pundits. This was a BT Sports step and repeat. I don't know if he didn't want to give them any fodder in the studio. It plays in during the post-match show and BT Sport. I don't know if he didn't want to give them any fodder. But he does owe it not only to Chelsea fans. He owes it to football fans who basically pay his salary. And he owes it to the Premier League, I believe, to go and talk and answer questions in that press conference, whatever press conference it is. If I were as a Chelsea fan, that press conference would have made me panic the most, even more than the play, Dave. Because Jose... Whatever he is, he's always been the master of the last word, the caustic quip, the put-down. I mean, he's the kid in the class that has always got the right thing to say. Yeah, but he's doing that at the point that he's winning. He's not used to losing. He's never managed failure, Roger. I mean, he's never he managed this. enforces control through quick mind and sharp tongue. Mm-hmm. And we've been left with a bewildered, confused, cornered, disheveled man 
Yeah. I mean, is he's Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Although, to some extent, by your own admission, that when you looked for to see how depressed he looked last season when he was arriving at the stadium. These are things that we now project on him a little bit more no, not, than they No, no, because no, the press conferences last season were absolutely He was winning, though, Rog. It's a very But you thing. live by the tabloid headline, you die by the tabloid headline, and the English press have turned on him. They're destroying him before our eyes week to week. And to well, me, the English press are delighting in it, Rog, because they never liked him very much before. Oh, they and loved him. They fed off every single no, word he I ever don't said. Know. I don't, oh, I don't know that I see that, Rog. I think that it, this is delightful to people, as you just admitted yourself. It's delightful for people who do not like Chelsea. As, a spo- as an element of sport, though, as a sports fan, the complete collapse of his mental toughness, of his team's mental toughness. He once called luck the assist. It was like the secret assist was luck. Chelsea lose key moments of the game. They are suffering bad luck again and again and again. But that's not unlucky. That's a lack of mental toughness. They fail to make anything good happen for themselves. At Ian Dark, the great Syrian, tweeted, Does Jose Mourinho realise how much it would be appreciated if he just sometimes said, We were second best today, no complaints? Yeah, he doesn't say that a lot. No, (laughs) He really doesn't say it a lot. Chelsea head to Stoke City next weekend, the yeah. team that beat them last week in the League Cup. Mourinho has been handed a one-match stadium ban for his comments to the referee at half-time two mm-hmm. weekends ago. Will he be in place, Davo, after the international I game? mean, nobody knows. Anybody who claims to know what's going on outside of Roman Abramovich is just talking out of their arse, so I have no idea. I do think that there are two elements that play in his... Well, three elements that play in his favour. One, the fans still seem broadly behind him. Secondly, I think the players have gone out of... It would be very easy for the players to go and make a statement that they're not behind him or to be quite silent. And I think the players led by John Terry have made that statement. Um, and I think thirdly, Abramovich made a very big deal about bringing Mourinho back to the club and not chopping and changing the whole time. However, I'm not saying that this he's going to keep him for years. I think that if... Without a doubt, if Mourinho doesn't make it into the Champions League for Chelsea, and that's going to be very, very hard to uh, get up to fourth place. I don't see it happening. He can't possibly stay. It's just whether or not they want to bring in an emergency manager you know, for the rest of the season. I don't see it happening, but maybe it Here's will. Here's what I think is critical. You don't want a Mourinho for a relegation dogfight. It's like buying a Lamborghini Aventador to go off-roading on a rutted, potholed yeah. rural backwater road. He's got no knowledge. He's got none of the skill sets or the motivational nuances needed in such dire, flat, desperate circumstances where you just have to tooth and nail and just gut it out. Chelsea need a Poulis. They need a (laughs) Big Sam. They need a Nigel Pearson, David. They need a relegation dogfight. If what Roman believes he's in is a relegation dogfight, and I must admit that I watched very closely the results from uh, all the teams below them in the table this weekend, it's relieved that we remained in 15th, so maybe we are there. If he believes that this is about short-termism, about what's going to happen this season, then you know what? Jose needs a sabbatical. He needs to go off and somebody else needs to come in. Bring in Pearson. Bring in somebody who can be just as charming with the press. And let's have Pearson come in and manage this team for the rest of the season. That would be excellent. Let's stop sullying ourselves yes. at the bottom. Let's talk about the top oh, of the table. I'm exhausted, David. Rog. Swansea nil, Arsenal three. <sighs> three nil to the Arsenal. Another offensively potent performance from Arsene Wenger's men. Goals, non-Arsenally goals, Rog, from <laughs> Olivia Giroud, Lauren Koscielny and CONCACAF's own Joel Campbell. Keep Arsenal level on points with league leaders Manchester City. They've also closed the goal differential gap to just four. A game Arsenal of last year would have struggled through. Swansea did the double last season over this Arsenal team. 
and it augured especially badly that just a week after I worry aloud about Arsenal keeping their squad healthy, the Ox and Theo Walcott suffer muscle damage in the 3-0 Capital One humiliation at Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. But it didn't matter. This no. was a, listen to this, Davo, it was a routine Arsenal win. Yep, yeah, just use those words. I used those words, a routine Arsenal win with a routine goal, as usual, from Olivier set pieces. Bloody Giroud. Set pieces, header from a set piece, uh, Rog. You know, fairly physical performance uh, for them. Um, you know, once again, a game where first half, nil-nil, you'd normally think Arsenal are going to wilt a little bit under the pressure. We've seen this before, and yet they come out and they score three crucial goals. <sighs> Great timing. Joel Campbell scores a goal as well, Rog. Great performance. If you performance. ever needed proof that Arsene Wenger is a footballing genius and that Arsenal are this season's team of destiny. 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 After four years of irrelevance and absolutely the stench of failure surrounding him, Joel Campbell is thrust into the team amidst prophecies of doom and he scores a beautiful goal arguably man of the match with a fine strike that just absolutely stunk of CONCACAF thunder if you watch carefully what I loved about this goal Ozil and Sanchez they had their own little celebration away from the rest of the team they high-fived about the roles they played in making the goal and that says a mountain <laughs> a lot about Arsenal about the creative culture at Arsenal Ozil now more assists 23 than any other Premier League player since he arrived in September 2013. I will say Campbell had a celebration of his own. He stuck a pacifier in his mouth that had been down his shorts for 70 minutes plus, Dave. A sweaty, sweaty pacifier. That Ozil statistic is amazing because it's not like Ozil has been in peak form ever since he arrived in England. He's had long stretches of not playing very good football at all. But the fact that in that period, he has created more goals than anybody else in football phenomenal I feel like we're saying this every week now Dave best week ever for Arsenal Jose Mourinho humiliated Arsenal a comprehensive win United looking laboured even City seeming like a different proposition without Kun Aguero than with him dare Arsenal fans dream they're playing the best football and even more significantly they've found a few plan B's and a plan C and a plan D and they've got such a deep squad because Arsene has rotated it so well it's coming to uh, bear right now the fruits of everything that's happened uh, in the last few seasons of uh, the way that he's built this squad and played all these players yes not enough to have the kids beat Sheffield Wednesday in midweek but that first team squad so many good players who can slot in who can play give them all kind of different shapes all kind of different lineups what I love about this Arsenal team is that they make wise decisions about when to attack and when to sit back compared to last season when they just naively try and do the former and be caught out last yeah, your style. I mean, I do fear injuries for this team, but let me say, I would love, I would love Arsene Wenger mocked, derided, most vehemently by the Wenger out segment of the Arsenal faithful. Who are still there, by the way. I'd love them Amazingly. To, I'd love them to turn around, deliver the Premier League title to the club in his 20th season. It would be more than a sporting victory. Uh-huh. It'd be a triumph for the spirit. One of the starkest declines of the season. Mm-hmm. Swansea. Poor Gary Monk. Oh, wilting I forgot, away. I forgot he was in the Premier League, Rod. Oh, do you remember when they used to pass so beautifully? When yeah. Montero would burst down the flank, when he'd destroy defenders... The passing style has been found out by their opponents and with Bafatembi Gomis labouring, they've just got yeah. no plan B. Well, Shelby put a great pass through to him in the first half, Rog, but uh, Bellerin. he just couldn't finish it. Oh, American Pharaoh Bellerin. Four home league games, drawn two, lost two, their worst run under Monk. We've got to start praying for Ginger Gary. Oh, 
Manchester City 2, Norwich 1. A tough game to watch on television if you don't really like pastels, Rog. The Canaries give the league <laughs> leaders all they can handle at the Etihad. An authoritative Nicholas Otamendi header appeared to be enough for Manuel Pellegrini's side, but in the 83rd minute, Joe Hart made a mess of an innocuous Rog Robbie Brady ball, allowing Cameron Jerome to level the score. In the game's waiting moments, Norwich's Russell Martin made a brilliant save on Raheem Sterling. The problem is Martin is not the Norwich goalkeeper. Yaya Toure converted the ensuing penalty and City stay top. Oh, as close as an English Premier League game can get to an NBA regular season clash. It was pretty well nothing to see for almost the entirety of the game. Then everything just exploded into life in the last couple of minutes. City didn't have a great deal to show, even though they had three quarters of the first half possession. Credit Norwich. They defend with such organisation, such tenacity. Mm-hmm. And once again, Yaya looked like a diminished force. Wilford Boney, a big man with little confidence. And Kevin De Bruyne, second bum league game on the run. Mm-hmm. But then Otamendi, David. Yeah, you need, if you're going to win the Premier League, Rod, you need your central defenders to score goals. Koscielny has knocked in a couple this season. And Otamendi, this was a great goal. This was a long-range power header, he, he headed Rog. It further than I can kick it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But then Joe Hart. Yeah. Oh, Halloween weekend, and Joe Hart decided to come dressed as 2014 Joe Hart. It's odd, because we haven't seen a Joe Hart howler for a while, Rog. Oh, it was a very odd howler. He went to routine cross. He just leapt up and then dropped the ball. Realised he was going to carry it into his own net, I think. Oh, is that what it was? In yeah. his mind, I kept assisting. Cameron Jerome kept scoring. And then there was a weird moment when he let the ball in. Mm-hmm. It was almost like the game turned into an EA Sports glitch. And he just started to run across his own goal line <laughs> manically. It's a very odd thing. Look at it on YouTube. But the game then just degenerated into a battle to prove who could be England's crappiest goalkeeper. John Ruddy went walkabout in the penalty area mm-hmm. as if he's been studying graduate studies at the Joe Hart School of Goalkeeping Excellence. Yeah, that was a mistake, oh. matriculating there. Yeah, yeah, Tory converted the penalty after the Russell Martin handball and conspired to argue publicly with Pellegrini when taken off mm-hmm. in the 94th minute. Still time for Joe Hart to show his split personality, redeem mm-hmm. himself with a fine save for Martin Olsen uh, right at the death. And he then managed to laugh at himself and his mistake with the English press. He went up to them and said, don't be too hard on me, lads. Showing that he can be funny, Davo, in places other than the tunnel. Crystal Palace nil. Manchester United nil. I was looking forward to this game, Rog. Despite the offensive impotence, <sighs> Louis van Gaal's team remain in fourth place, just four points behind City and Arsenal. <sighs> this game was bad. It was one eight seven seven cars for kids bad. That bad. Ex United stars are just taking it in turns to rip on yeah. United's play. Paul Scholes mocked the lack of creativity and risk taking. Mm-hmm. Andre Konchelskis, he said the players are forced to act like robots. Mm-hmm. And what did Louis Van Gaal counter them with? Uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Yeah, in a sinister yet sensitive manner of a man who's tried yet failed to destroy all traces of human emotion in his psychological makeup. <laughs> you can tell it's getting to him. And so it's short last six games, United have won just once, failed to score four times, 341 minutes without a goal. This is Manchester United. They've not even managed one face-saving Anthony Martial wonder strike. A deadening statistic made worse by the League Cup humiliation at Middlesbrough, we're Manchester United, the fans sang. We want to attack. When United play this badly, there can only be one man of the match, David De Gea, who kept Palace at bay. They had a lot of ball in the final third, but again, they toiled to finish. They'll feel hard done to with one point. United reject Wilfred Zaha, 
unbelievably motivated in this game against a team who brought him and buried him. Poor kid. He did a round of press before the game with the sole intention of burying the rumour that David Moyes had benched him permanently for seducing his daughter. Hashtag modern football. Brutal statistic for Alan Pardew's side. Palace haven't had a single Premier League goal this season from a traditional centre-forward. Well, at least Man United are defending well. I'd take that as a Chelsea fan, uh, Rog. West Brom, two. Leicester, three. The Foxes come from behind. Should we just say, shouldn't we just assume at this point that the Foxes are going to come from behind? Thanks in part to the Premier League's pizza rat, Jamie Vardy. Equal parts feral and fearless. Vardy scored for the eighth <laughs> straight game to bring his league-leading tally to 11. Leicester up to third in the table, Rog. They're only three points behind City and Arsenal. Playing great football. Yeah, fairy tale continues. If Chelsea weren't unspooling, Dave, Leicester yeah. City would be the story of this season. We will talk more about them with Arlo White yeah. later in the pod. Um, but I just say, Jamie Vardy, only the third player to score in eight successive Premier League appearances. It's remarkable. Rem- I don't know if he's wearing Harry Kane aftershave or what he's done. We'll ask Arlo. Yeah. But Ruud van Nisselrooy and Daniel Sturridge are the only other two. That bloke's got the finishing skills of a continental and the teeth of a modern Englishman. Ten points gathered from losing positions for yeah. Leicester. An amazing statistic. 15 of the last 17 goals they've scored have come in the second half. At Munbagri tweeted, Leicester City is like that unexpected party crasher who's hung around long enough that now they're helping serve drinks. Now, the biggest story of the season is Chelsea and Leicester... Deserve to be the biggest story of the season. The other story that's flying under the radar is what's going on at Tottenham, Rog. They won again 3-1. They extend the league's longest unbeaten streak to 10 games. So unspursy. Battering Villa behind goals from Moussa Dembele. Deli Ali and a revitalised Harry Kane, Rog. Spurs up to fifth in the table. Aston Villa caretaker manager Kevin McDonald said before the game, Villa need to produce top four form to avoid relegation. They mm. did. Unfortunately, the top four team they channel <laughs> was Chelsea. Um, in front of their new watching manager, Remy Gard, they held Spurs at bay for an entire three minutes. Yeah. Dembele charged through the Villa rear guard and went five hole on prey for Guzan. Uh-huh. Deli Alley, what a game. A sweet, composed finish made it 2 0. The game did almost flip. There was an IU deflected, wistful long range shot. Spurs wobbled. Aston Villa fans started the chant, we only sing when we think we might draw. <laughs> but then Lamela found Harry Kane, who blasted his fifth in five games. We'll just say Remy Gard has a lot of work to do before Villa hosts City at the weekend, uh, including teaching his own team how to spell his name. Villa misspelled Remy Gard uh-huh. on that welcoming press release. It's going to be fascinating watching him. He's the 11th of Arsene Wenger's ex-players to go into coaching He's a sophisticated operator. He turned Leon into a young outfit on a tight budget. And they challenged Paris Saint-Germain as well as anyone could during that petrodollar fuel transformation. Talking about transformations, for Spurs, the North London derby against Arsenal awaits. They have the longest current unbeaten run, 10 games. They are just one point from the top four promised land, the North London derby. It's going to be a game for the ages Sunday, Davo. Yeah. And we've got Eric Dyer, the Dyer Wolf, joining us for a special pod extra later this week. Well, can't wait. Watford, two. West Ham, nil, Rod. Two goals from Nigerian striker Odeon Igolo, Rod. See the Hornets past the Hammers of Vicarage Road. Yeah, remarkable double defensive synapse by Andy Carroll. We praised him last week. This week he tried to do a Johan Cruyff turn 
on his own goal line yeah. and ended up doing a Johan Santana turn. It's a terrible day for Man Buns and they've had a lot no, bad days. of terrible days. As Shakespeare said, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise Man Bun knows himself mm-hmm. to be a fool. You've got to credit Watford in this game. Kike Flores, I think he should be in the contention for the only running for the manager of the year. Mm-hmm. The way he prepares that team. At the final whistle... He stuck his tongue out and for a moment. He looked like Billy Joel's younger, drunker brother. They face Leicester next weekend. And I will say this, Davo, now. I think they'll fancy their chances. Yeah, of all the promoted teams, they sit in 11th rod higher than uh, both Norwich and Bournemouth. Up the okay, cherries. Rod. Up the cherries. Southampton 2, Bournemouth nil. Southampton 2, the aforementioned Bournemouth nil, Rod. The Saints win the South Coast derby behind first-half goals from Steve Davis and Graziano Pella. Despite having the better of the second half, the Cherries couldn't find a way through. They've lost four of their last five and sit one point above the drop zone. Southampton, that first half, some of their best football of the season. I've got to say, if they can keep their energy and focus for a full 90 minutes, they're going to be fascinating to watch because they are tactically wonderful when in full flight. Bournemouth fans sang Harry Redknapp's name from the stands. I think they did it to wind up Southampton because Harry Redknapp, the Bournemouth native, almost destroyed that club. Some are beginning to think that the supporters are actually chanting for him to replace. I find it hard to believe. Something I just can't conceive of. Eddie Howe. Bournemouth hosts Newcastle next Saturday in a massive, massive six-pointer relegation dogfight. Up the bloody cherries. Newcastle, nil. Stoke, nil, Rod. Despite a team sheet filled with exotic names like Boyan, Shakirian, and Nautovic, the sexiest thing about Stoke was English goalkeeper Jack Butland, Rod. He produced a series of impressive saves to salvage a point for the Potters. The point lists Newcastle above Sunderland, but it's not enough to get them out of the relegation zone. Everton, six. Sunderland, two, Rod. How did this go that far down the run? Read it to me again. Everton, six. Sunderland, two, Rod. Everton hang a touchdown on Big Sam and Sunderland. They missed the extra point, though. Aruna Kone with a hat trick. Everton up to ninth. Rog, what do you want to know? Oh, take me through it. I think we used up all of our season's goals in one game. Yeah. What a, I'll take it, Dave. What I watched the start thing. of the game and I was worrying for you with the, you know, Sunderland twice off the post early. Coming back in, they scored a goal in Ivor Bennett time from Jermaine Defoe. They sort of tied it up at the beginning of the second half. I was worried for you. It was a lot closer than the scoreline suggests at one minute. But so many wonderful sights and sounds and smells in this game. Jerry D. Jerry yeah, Day Lafayette. That was a great pass. First that was the pass of the game, and there were some great passes. I just love this first goal since his return. Yeah. I mean, and then the celebration again, that yeah. awful, ill judged, gunning people <laughs> down celebration. Yeah. It was so great to see. It's a beautiful Scouse Catalan. Uh-huh. The game was briefly interesting. Sunderland actually outshot Everton in this game. Wow. And their wing backs confused the Everton defenders at first. They hit the bar twice. The foe of a classic, the foe of old goals. Stephen Fletcher, Robert E. Lee leaping over Funes Mori to nod home and equalise. Mm-hmm. But then Everton, I'm not sure if Everton exploded or Sunderland imploded, David. Coata's own goal, that the Dale Lefeo. Oh, oh pass. that pass, Rog, that was a thing of beauty. And there was another amazing pass later in the game from Lukaku. And the fact that that was not the best pass in the match is a testament to how good that Delafeo ball oh, was. I just loved when Lukaku scored. His immediate response was to shout at his teammates to play quicker, confident Everton would score again. And yeah. he was right, they did. Over and over again. We had Kone's zombie walk goal celebration yeah, twice. Like that. that stonking header off the sexy Lukaku left-footed cross. Oh, that was amazing. Oh, it was as beautiful as a Miami U kickoff return. And Kone just became hat-trick Rick, the best player on our team. 
At T Wayward tweeted me, early congratulations to Mrs. Bennett on the birth of Kone Bennett in nine months' time. I am elated for Kone. Yeah. He's battled back from a severe knee injury that could have been career-ending. Many Everton yeah. players believe his career has ended on the field before the past couple of games. And alongside Lukaku, he's become cheekily imperious. Two strikers. I like the Cara de Levine and St. Vincent of the Premier League. Hmm. Though, to be clear, we've got to remind ourselves, it was only Sunderland. Yeah. And a pity, Sunderland fans. Last week's glorious six-consecutive win against Newcastle. Feels like decades ago. They woke up Monday morning with the reality, second to bottom. Dave, I was in Charlotte this weekend. Yeah. I went to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. They have a serious race simulator. I've been there too. It's amazing. And I went on it with these serious NASCAR heads. They're very yeah. different people than I've ever really encountered before. Let's just yeah. put it that way. And they asked me what my name was on the computer. Have you sat in the race car and raced? Yeah, done it. And I put my name in as Romelu. Yeah. <laughs> and then proceeded to crash 15 times in three minutes and just make everybody else in the race. And these guys were serious racers, mm -hmm. have to keep returning to the pits. And as we all got out of our cars, one guy had to be restrained by his mate mm -hmm. as he screamed, I'm going to find that Romelu and kick his ass. <laughs> Thankfully, I think the name I chose threw him. Let's just say he wasn't looking for a, a stooped English bull. So the bar mitzvah was at the NASCAR Hall of Fame? No, no, I just went there. Oh, good. That's an interesting yeah. location, I was thinking. Okay, uh, big news from US soccer, Rod, the end of an era. <sighs> Last week... So Nogalati retired. GFOP, Abby Wambach. Way oh. worse than that, Rog. Abby Wambach, international football's all-time leading scorer, announced oh. she will retire at the end of this calendar year. Her final game is scheduled to be December 16th against China in New Orleans. Oh, she retires as the most prolific goal scorer in international history. 184 goals in 252 games. Wow. Paul Carr says 77 were scored overhead. Wow. That total alone would rank her seventh all-time in U.S. <laughs> women's national team history. More importantly, mm -hmm. she retires as she always dreamed she would, as a winner. Someone who persisted in defeat and propelled her team to victory, willed them to victory. Mm -hmm. And anyone who spent time with Abby will vouch for this. Her retirement is simply a new beginning. I've got no doubt we'll see her launch a second career that will have as wide an impact as her first did on the game of football. We just joke about one back for FIFA president, but... I'm not joking, Rog. I'd love to see that. Uh, talking of the FIFA presidency, news from FIFA land, exiled president Sepp Blatter... We should have given music for this. What may be the most on-brand interview ever, given that his brand is delusional and drunk on power. Blatter told Russian news agency <laughs> TESS... Tass. Tass. God, I'd love oh, to be interviewed Tess. by Tass. It says Tass right Why here. have we never been interviewed by Tass? Blatter I told that. Russian news agency Tass, Tass that it was decided, well, it's uh, Ian Dark's uh, Dog. sadly Dog. deceased. Sadly deceased. Dog. Dog. Yeah, the Russians Dog. felt so yeah. close to Ian, they, they named they a whole new Tess. service after this. Dog. It was decided Russia would host the 2018 World Cup before the vote. <laughs> His current suspension is nonsense, he said, and that this February, quote, if God is with me, I do hope that I'll be back as president of FIFA. Yeah, he said some amazing things. Number one, not sure God is worrying about that. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be the biggest thing. God's stressed out about the Qatar yeah. um, World Cup. By the way, in this interview, he did say 2022 World Cup was meant to be in the USA. Yeah. When they cooked the votes before yeah. the vote, he then attacked Platini, demanded he be restored to FIFA. Some great quotes. FIFA is not the Swiss bank. Yeah. FIFA is not a commercial company. I would like it to be. And no, then no, one second say. later in answering the next question, he said, since I became president of FIFA, we've made FIFA a big commercial company. Wow. <laughs> uh, he also did one of the saddest interviews in our favourite column, 
Financial Times a lunch with. Oh, we love that. In which he blamed America for his downfall, American corporations, American politics, pushed Platini under the bus. And what I love is, as he's kind of nearing the FIFA moon door... That was very American of him. It seems clear Blatter's preparing to name names to protect his legacy. Yeah. I'm hoping his end goes down like the end of Scarface in a blaze <laughs> of coke fueled self-destruction. We will see, Rog. Uh, in MLS, the conference semi-finals head into their second leg Sunday in the Eastern Conference. The New York Red Bulls return home with a 1-0 advantage over DC United, Rog, thanks to a Dax McCarty goal at RFK. And Montreal impact head to Columbus after coming back from behind, so Lestery of them, to beat the crew 2-1 in Montreal. And in the Western Conference, Seattle hold a 2-1 advantage over Dallas after an 86-minute Clint Dempsey free kick earned them the win at CenturyLink Field. And the Timbers and Whitecaps go to Vancouver after a goalless draw in Portland. Oh, it's fascinating watching the LA Galaxy eliminated Dave. Amazing photograph of the playoffs. They will not be beaten. Eric Freeberg winds up to fire the winning shot for Seattle against the Galaxy and the cameraman caught Steven Gerrard just standing there stationary with just this look on his face, powerless, impotent, not actually trying to run to track back and watch it, but just a spectator like you and me mm. looking on in horror. Amazing. He's hinted next season may be his last. He said, going on the road, playing on turf, playing at altitude, playing in humidity in the MLS, those are the hurdles I've never had to face and I wasn't aware I was going to over the last three months. He was obviously well briefed yeah. before arriving. I love watching football on Unimass MLS playoffs. It's like football meets Dora. <laughs> and I, I, another good thing, there's no 1877 cars for kids commercials. Yeah, to we boot. love that. In other MLS news, Jason Christ, yeah. relieved of his duties at your yeah. beloved NYCFC. Sad to see such a young bloke, a young American talent have his wings clipped. Many MLS watchers see it as evidence the club is being run from Manchester. I mean, I say we don't see training. We don't live within the club culture. Any football club culture can reject a young coach, no mm -hmm. matter how bright. See Andre Villas-Boas at Chelsea, at Tottenham. It's going to be fascinating to see how that club handles the next steps and who is to follow. One gentleman we should congratulate, David. Mm -hmm. Bob Bradley. Yes. First American manager to lead a team into Europe. His young Steibeck charges. Steibeck! Yeah. Tipped by many to be relegated in the Tipperlagen. Yeah. We still got to buy the rights to the Tipperlagen. Mm -hmm. Surprised it. all comers and came third. Bradley is a free agent at the year's end. Whether he actually leads the team into the Europa League qualifying in July remains to be seen. But his team have made it. It's an amazing sporting fee. I think he should go into the championship. I pray he gets a Premier League job, but I think it may be time for a move. We did one Raven at the top. Another Raven right now. This one from Dave in Boston, Massachusetts. One of the greatest stories of this young Premier League season has been somewhat neglected by you two glabrous gentlemen, namely Leicester City. Well, until we interview Arlo White. Going Rog. deep. A club that most pundits had slated for relegation has been the most consistently entertaining and pleasantly surprising EPL outfit thus far. I mean... Who would have thought that they would be one of only two squads to have only one loss through the first 11 weeks of the season? <laughs> Along with Spurs? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Jamie Vardy putting up goals like Vintage Rude, Riyad Mahrez slithering along like Georgie Best, and Danny Drinkwater providing some excellent comic relief with the quintessentialist of British names all adds up to an irresistible treat every weekend. I'm a diehard Liverpool fan, and if Liverpool were not playing, I would typically watch a game involving one of the Manchester teams, Everton, Arsenal or Chelsea, just to spend 90 minutes booing them and wishing ill will on their entire squad. <laughs> Nonetheless, anytime Leicester are on TV now, I find myself gravitating to their match, no matter who else is playing at that time. 
I thought about what contemporary American sports team I would compare Leicester to. Explosive offense, porous defense, 19 goals against in 11 matches. They're never fully out of a match, and they're simply a really exciting surprise team that is easy to root for. Eager to get your take on this, and I look forward to hearing both of your opinions on Leicester's early season search. Who is the team, Rod? What American sports team are they like? It's not just this season. But everyone picked them for relegation. Yeah. Last year, they were almost relegated. They, they had looked the like they were escape. going down, yeah. To me, this is like cool runnings with less bobsled. <laughs> they may be like Southampton last season. That's who they may be, an early season delight, but they fall away. But Southampton did it with youth development. Leicester just don't have that. To me, this is all about team chemistry, collective clicking. Is it 2011 Butler in the NCAA? Yeah, Butler had that uh, fantasy run, Rod. But who cares about our POV, Rog? I do think we need to understand what Leicester have achieved this season from a deeper perspective. So without further ado, let's dial up our guest today, Leicestershire's greatest export ever, just edging out Walker's crisps. And then Gilbert Humperdinck. He's the voice of the Premier League here in America, calling games every weekend from gantries around England for NBC Sports. Have you got Tim Howard? No. We welcome to the pod the man who coined the term meaty French forehead, the one and only Mr. Arlo White. Hello, chaps. All over this country right now, there's families sitting around in Rockwellian kind of painting settings, yeah. sitting down for their dinner, and all they're talking about is Jamie Vardy. <laughs> <laughs> Leicester City lost just one game against Arsenal, implausible mm. third in the league. Mm. Their delightful knack of just never saying die, the most American trait, one could argue, that has made this country great. Arlo, asking you randomly. How do you understand what's gone on there in the first 11 games? What are the factors that have propelled this Cinderella run? I'm struggling to comprehend it, Rog. I, I really am. And, you know, for, for Jamie Vardy to be America's sweetheart this early <laughs> in the season, it, it, it's just or, or ever stunning. <laughs> or ever, in fact. They are just playing superbly. They have an indomitable spirit. The games are weirdly fascinating and entertaining they come from two goal deficits one goal deficits you know they don't start playing till they're two down uh, the atmosphere they're not interested the K- they're not interested till they're <laughs> st- till they're trailing exactly uh, the atmosphere at the kp stadium is amongst the best in the league at the moment the place is jumping the get the gantry as i've seen um on recent games actually shake the cameras shake on the gantry we're there for the man united game later this month so i can't wait to experience that and you've got a couple of players in jamie vardy and riyad mares who've scored 18 goals and provided five assists between them in the opening 11 games it's absolutely remarkable but if you count it back to the start of last april when Nigel Pearson was still in charge and they won, what was it, seven of the last nine. Uh, if you put April, May and August, September and October, that's it's champions form. It's absolutely ludicrous. They deserve a trophy. A they deserve a trophy. The, <laughs> so I found myself when we're commentating, well, what we call commentating, Arlo, not what you would call commentating, over Leicester highlights. I found myself comparing Jamie Vardy to Suarez, that aggression to get on the yeah. ball, the way he runs into space. He's just so aggressive. I love it. But what kind of a player do you see when you see Jamie Vardy? What makes him such a good Premier League footballer? Well, I've seen him for a while, and obviously he was slightly more raw um, when he arrived at Leicester City. Who, who, who took a punt on him? Let's not forget. I've been to Bracken Moor Lane, Davo, the, wow. the home of Stocksbridge Park Steels. To oh, cover the a- Steels. 
in my early career before I got paid to report on football mm-hmm. uh, for BBC Radio Derby uh, against Alfreton Town. And look, it's I'm not going to be too stereotypical about it, but it's a little grim at Stocksbridge Park Steels <laughs> and Bracken Moor Lane. The pie was fantastic. So for him to to be to be um, Released by Sheffield Wednesday, his dream seemingly uh, in the gutter in terms of being a professional footballer, and to have made his way from Stocksbridge Park Steels through Halifax Town when they weren't even a terrible fourth division side, they were a non-league side by this time, and then to Fleetwood Town, and then for a championship club in Leicester City to take a £1 million risk on him. The story is remarkable. So what do I think when I see him? I see everything that Nigel Pearson and the Leicester scouts saw, which was raw pace, uh, tremendous desire, a determination to put the football world right for rejecting him as a youngster, just that general determination about his personality that is now added poise, skill, <laughs> and that sort of ability. We call him James Vardes, Real Madrid. James. James Vardes. But at the same time, he's 28. The Premier League, let's just say it's had its share of one-season wonders, it's Roque, Santa Cruz's, it's Michu's. Is there something that feels different to you when you watch Vardy? I mean, in 2010, as you said, Stocksbridge Park Steel scored just five league goals last season. Is he the Premier League Seabiscuit? Vardinho we're talking about Vardinho. here, yeah, I like as Vardinho. Known, as he's known locally, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it remains to be seen. I don't want to sit on the fence about this because he is, and I think the key aspect of it is he is 28. So you've got this this amazing emergence and confluence of all these aspects like confidence, pace, skill. And it won't be long before some of them start to diminish. So we're, we're hitting a sweet spot here, a perfect storm of everything coming good for Jamie Vardy. And I don't know how long it can last for. I think Leicester fans might be concerned that... Um, and not, not so much about January. Um, I think he's nailed his colours to the mast and Ranieri says he's not going anywhere. When you see newspaper reports linking a Leicester City striker with Real Madrid, you, you do think you've entered the twilight zone. Um, but there, <laughs> well, there, there must be... Well, think how the be... Stocksbridge Steels fans feel. <laughs> I hope they've got some sort of kickback off this. I really do. Maybe Fleetwood Town are bound to have some sort of sign-on clause as well, so they'll be looking forward to any potential sale. I wonder if he goes next summer, gets the big move, gets the huge money, uh, and we'll see how long this can last. How how much do you fear the transfer window? Um, Today's Daily Mail, Manchester United are monitoring Leicester City's Algerian winger Riyad Mahrez. And they'd be right to do so. Uh, Rog, because he is tremendous. And I watched him play for the football club in the championship. Um, In many ways, he's a better footballer than Jamie Vardy. I know they play in different positions, but he frightens the life out of fullbacks when he's running at them. He's so skillful. When he drops shoulders, people fall off their seats at the KP Stadium. It's remarkable that they got him. In this day and age, with the scouting uh, software, with the DVDs, you know, the the, the plethora of football available on every channel that every scout has, that he fell through the net. It's remarkable. Um, So between them, and we talk about, you know, Leicester City's success and this rise and this wonderful story, is it it sustainable? Probably not, history would suggest, but it, it is a team effort. But these two are... Very, very good, and they are the class of this team. And and put together in the same side, an absolute joy to watch. So Claudio Ranieri, <laughs> when it was announced he was coming to Leicester, I'm not sure that the welcome that the fans were laying out to him was overwhelming. 
No. I'm not sure there was that much excitement in the media about it. The <sighs> sense that this is a retread of somebody, a name we've heard around European football uh, for a while. But what is it about his style that matches up so well with this team? It's a great question. And, and the, the appointment initially from um, such luminaries as, as Gary Lineker, um, who went on Twitter um, to, to voice not necessarily his displeasure, but just his lack of enthusiasm for the move. It didn't create any excitement at all. And Leicester have been there before. Uh, they appointed Sven-Joran Eriksson. The Thai family that owned the club appointed Sven-Joran Eriksson. And you kind of got the sense that they weren't necessarily making the appointment out of any great knowledge of the game, but they were listening to agents that were selling their, their clients' wares. And this sounded like one of those. Um, and as you say, it was a, a, a retread. But it, it, it's worked out very well. What, what I think he's done here is, is changed very little. I think, I think Ranieri came in and saw uh, the enthusiasm, saw the style of play, saw the energy in that squad, saw the togetherness of, of a group of players, added to it with a few, a few relatively big names where, where Leicester is concerned, and hasn't changed a great deal. I think he's pleasantly surprised uh, many of the so-called Blue Army. I mean, I love quotes by Chairman Mao, I love quotes by Winston Churchill, and I love quotes by Tony Poulis. Three similar men. <laughs> and Poulis said this weekend, before Leicester battered West Brom, he said, Claudio Ranieri benefited from all the work Nigel Pearson's put in. It's very, very nice to step into a football club where everything's in place. And that club looks like everything was in place, but let's not forget the work that Nigel did in his three, four years at that club. Mm. Is that true? And have you seen any difference in the style of play at Leicester since Ranieri's taken over? I think that's... Um, and Tony Pulis is a card-carrying member of the, of the British Premier League Managers Club. I think... I think um, he will always give credit where credit's due, particularly if, if there's another British manager he, he feels uh, a kinship with. Um, he might actually print the cards. He might actually manufacture them, Arlo. <laughs> He's the treasurer, at least, if not the president of that club. Yeah. Um, so, but, but I think he's right. And uh, uh, Nigel Pearson, it's, it's very interesting that um, the perception around the world and the perception in the United States of Nigel Pearson amongst people who were probably exposed to him for the first time last year is almost universally negative. And, and his actions last year, don't get me wrong, at times were appalling. He let himself down and I hope that he's learned a lot about it because, or from it, he is a very good manager. He is a galvanising figure for footballers. He's a footballer's manager. And when you look at what that style is of Leicester City, and, and a lot of it is about togetherness, and a lot of it is about energy, you have to be motivated, highly motivated, and you have to trust in what you're doing to play that way. And Nigel, they're still playing in his image. He is still seen as the architect of that team. Moment of truth time for you, Arlie. You sitting down? I am. How long does this run last in your mind? Will it get bogged down in the frenetic holiday schedule? <laughs> it could do, um, and it probably will. I think Leicester fans would look at a game like Watford at home at the weekend, and as soon as you say in this situation, well, that's a, that's a home banker, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely three points there, Watford, even though they're, they're showing signs of life. The, the result that, that, that doesn't go their way will be one that perhaps you don't expect. The, the one game they have lost is a game they could have won. I, I think they saw the Arsenal game as a free hit. They, they'd started great, 
points on the board, playing good football, scoring goals. I think they really went at Arsenal. They were 1-0 up. They hit the crossbar and tend to go two. Mr. Sitter to go possibly three. And then 10 seconds later, Theo Walcott uh, scored for Arsenal. And Leicester carried on playing that way and they got they It's got there that they scored. made a pact in blood to never go ahead in a game again. <laughs> yeah. Always leak at least one, maybe two brothers, and we'll take them all down. They learn. They learn. It is amazing, though, that they're sitting third in the table. They've yeah. scored 23 goals, yeah. which is right up there with the teams around them. They've conceded 19. We yeah. talked earlier in the pod, we were talking about Chelsea, we were talking about the importance of the mental element of the game. Mm. And, you know, just how, you know, last season Chelsea were a team who showed incredible mental toughness at key moments. And this year that's gone to completely the opposite. Leicester have just been so mentally tough. They've won so many close games. You look at Southampton last year and people just started to think, hold on, they can get fourth. And then there was a run which which meant that that wasn't going to be possible. And I think Leicester will go through something similar. They've beaten Sunderland, they've beaten Bournemouth, Villa, Norwich, West Brom. They've beaten Palace at home. Uh, West Ham away, but early in the season when West Ham was struggling at home. They came back brilliantly at Southampton. They've still got to play Man United twice, Man City twice, Arsenal and this Chelsea run can't continue, even though, Davo, you predicted at the start of the season. Thank I mean, you I'll very much. Money on that, by, by the way, which was absolutely extraordinary insight. But they've got to play Chelsea twice. So they've got some really tough games. A couple of quick ones, and then we're going to let you go. I do have to ask, the profile of MLS, the playoffs in full mm. thrall at the moment. I know it's on Sky Television. Are they registering in England? They are. I wouldn't say it's it's the talking point by any stretch of the imagination because there's so many storylines all the time in in the Premier League uh, particularly with Chelsea's you know start of the season which is dominating everything and Jurgen Klopp coming into the league which is a huge story so it, it, it wouldn't be at the top of the agenda but people are always looking and seeing how Steven Gerrard's doing how Frank Lampard's doing so that ended with the end of the regular season then then the the knockout round but but I think people do watch on a Sunday night yeah I, I genuinely do and people are aware more so now than ever of what's going on in Major League Soccer. And I think people have got their heads around and, and got over the fact that there's a regular season, then playoffs. You know, it happens in, in sports here, like Rugby League and Rugby Union. Um, people are used to it. People love their NFL in this country. So why not have playoffs at the end of the year? But, uh, yeah, people are keeping on top of it, um, although it's probably not the, the the first thing that they look at in the morning when they go to their computers uh, to look at their football news. And talking about great American sports leagues like MLS... This weekend, you were at Wembley. You went to the NFL game. Oh. Yeah. Did you go with yeah. Dick Dixon and Lasseau? Uh, Lasseau was was uh, was pre-booked, but Dixon did go. Yes. I've got to ask you: four games, NFL have taken over to Wembley. Is it a circus coming to town that everyone rushes out to see, or are the real NFL week-to-week kind of grassroots narrative following English people who are just getting sucked into the sport? like the Americans are getting sucked into the English Premier League here. It's, it's very similar. You know, you, you walk around the streets of Manhattan on a Saturday and Sunday morning. I used to do it around Seattle on a Saturday, Sunday morning and Chicago when I lived there. It, you see Premier League jerseys wandering the streets uh, of those big cities. When the NFL comes to town in London, 
And this was the first time that I'd, I'd gone to a, a stadium for a game like this as a fan. I'd, I'd called three of the Wembley games and called five Super Bowls. So you're in the stadium three or four hours before kickoff. So you don't get to see, you know, the streets of London beforehand from a taxi or, you know, the, 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 the pre-game parties, uh, the tailgating that's going on. And I couldn't believe it. There were... There were NFL shirts of all 32 teams wandering around the streets of London. The tailgating was intense and packed. Uh, the game was, I mean, from a from a connoisseur's perspective, was absolutely awful. Uh, Lee, we had to sing for our supper, and I I I, uh, I took Lee down to the sideline during the game to be interviewed by Sky TV. And while, whilst he was being interviewed, there were people in in. 15 different NFL jerseys leaning over shouting Dicko come on you gooners and it was, it was absolutely brilliant and he took it very well uh, but it is it's getting it's getting more and more popular and I interviewed um, and, and did a, a hosting event with Roger Goodell uh, on Friday morning a breakfast in London at the Mayfair Hotel um, and we joked that I'd asked him seven years ago about a London franchise and he said well yeah you know maybe one day in the future uh, and he said even he didn't believe it at that stage but I think they do genuinely believe it now and it was announced today that Twickenham the home of English rugby yeah. is going to host a game at least a game a year for the next three years Wembley wow. signed up and Spurs will be signed up from 2018 so there's three different venues in London hosting NFL it's building up to a franchise that, in actually, that so New England right. Patriots Leicester City partnership <laughs> looks pretty like king power can't, oh, can't be too long Garlo. with you commentating it'll be like heaven it's great to catch up with you I just say oh, bear down Arlo bear down yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, maybe next season, Rog. <laughs> and uh, Godspeed to you, Arla. Thank you so much. All the best, chaps, and all the best with BlazerCon as well. Sorry I can't be there, but um, all the best of luck with it. It sounds like a fabulous event. We will do something we'll very special with you in February. Oh, what a man. Yeah. He'll be at Stoke mm-hmm. watching them beat Chelsea this weekend. Yeah. And then off to the North <laughs> London Derby on Sunday. Yeah. He'll be doing three men in the booth. It's all over the Ted Danson yeah. the equation, David. Well, Lasso is definitely the Selick. Oh, he's yeah, such he's a Selick. Yeah. Um, a mini contest, Rog. As we mentioned, BlazerCon very close to selling out. But even if you weren't able to get a ticket, you're in luck. The GFOPs at Mini USA are giving away five pairs of tickets to the event, Rog. They're like the, to the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Factory. We all know soccer has been America's sport of the future since 1972. All you need to do to win these tickets is tell us why the future is now. You must enter on the website miniusa.com forward slash BlazerCon. We are not accepting entries via Raven, so visit miniusa.com forward slash BlazerCon to enter. Five pairs of tickets. That's amazing, Rog. Um, BlazerCon song contest, Rog. We're now ready to announce one of our BlazerCon song contest winners. As you'll recall, we asked you to pen a tune that captures the unique experience of being a football fan in America. The early mornings, the Guinness for breakfast, tying yourself to teams thousands of miles away, your hometown MLS team, the US men's national team, the World Cup champion, US women's national team, all of it. The winner of our grand prize, whose tune will be performed at BlazerCon, is yesterday's game from GFOP Ben Clark in Brooklyn. Is that an original composition? It seems that it is. We're going to play a little bit now to give you a taste. When a lonely old night comes a bright blue day with the Guinness to drink my red, white, and blues away. Finished three to two with no W and a back line looks to blame. Dosa Cero is yesterday's game. Dosa Cero is yesterday's game. I've been waking up for years now around 745. 
on Saturdays to see the way the game is played when it's in its prime. I've seen men you straight dominate, but I know they've had their problems. I've seen Chelsea turn into a pile of with John Terry at the bottom. That is not suboptimal, mate. Yeah, it was good. We're going to have a bunch of other winners, Rod. I've got to say, uh, what's his name? Lloyd Webber entered. Didn't <laughs> he did? Yeah, he wow. did. It was crap. Your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. Manchester United versus West Brom, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Saturday on NBCSN. Stoke versus Chelsea, not in the face, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday on Network NBC. Oh, my God, we had to put that on broadcast. Arsenal versus Tottenham, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Sunday on NBCSN. What a game that's going to be. All four of Sunday's MLS Conference semi-final second legs will be televised. The New York Red Bulls versus DC United, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Columbus Crew versus the Montreal Impact, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. FC Dallas versus the Seattle Sounders, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. And the Vancouver Whitecaps versus the Portland Timbers, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Rog, there are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small, just click off the Emporium page and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage. Allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book. Oh, I love a book. Little Victories Oh, by Jason Gay. <gasps> oh, my great friend Jason Gay. Wall Street Journal sports columnist. Love GFOP, stand-up bloke and a droll, wise writer. Yeah. His new book, it's a meditation on life, manhood, death, regret and meaning. Written in his own kind of self-deprecating style. He talks about all the stuff we don't really talk about in life. Testicular yeah. cancer, mm-hmm. his father's death, and his mourning, his battle with his wife and fertility medicine. Oh, he wrote about that also in last weekend's Wall Street Journal. That was Journal. an extract, Beautiful, mate. beautiful. That was an ex- that's called an extract. Oh, it was beautiful. Oh, subjects that touch so many of us, but we kind of suppress talking about them publicly. And I love the book because I admire him. And it's an unexpectedly personal, emotional and occasionally heartbreaking read. Wonderful. I'm putting in a book too, Rog. Picked up this book over the weekend and read it in two sittings. Our Man in Charleston, Britain's Secret Agent in the Civil War South. I love the Civil War. I know a number of our GFOPs are interested in the Civil War. I've always been under a sort of a delusion, Rog, that the English withheld support from the Yankees and gave a lot more help to the South during the Civil War. And yet, this is the amazing story of Robert Bunch, uh, who was the British consul in Charleston. He Bobby arrived Bunch. there as a young man in 1853. And he was a double agent, Rog. He was a secret agent who, who cozied up with the slave traders and made them feel like he was their mate and then ended up feeding all of that information uh, to the uh, Northern Army, Rog. So he says. Well, no, it's very, very well documented. A brilliantly written book by Christopher Dickey, Rog. Uh, you can now watch entire episodes of our crap TV show on NBC Sports Live Extra, Apple TV, and Roku. It's also up on our website, meninblazers.com. Also on meninblazers.com, a place to sign up for our newsletter, The Raven, which we produce with our partner, Guinness. And check out our Spotify account, men underscore in underscore blazers. We've just posted a BlazerCon playlist, Rog. Meninblazers.wikispaces.com forward slash a wonder of the modern world. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Rog Bennett, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. I very rarely do anything on Instagram anymore. I've just forgotten to. And uh, like us on Facebook. We've got a subreddit, meninblazers.reddit.com, maintained by GFOPs, Akshay, Calvin, and Alex. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. We should say, before we go, we're going to be on Seth Meyers tonight. Oh, my God. Which is too late for you to do anything about. You you can't avoid it. You may have watched it already by accident. I'm just warning you. Yeah, okay. 
Not you, the listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. Oh, don't sorry, I can't Seth avoid Myers it. Tonight. Okay, yeah, don't watch that. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumba? Explosion! Courage. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? Cordroy is coming. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Oh. I'm sorry, NASCAR drivers. I really <laughs> have. <laughs> I love that, Rog, and I love you Didn't too. Didn't know what I was doing. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami. There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.